You're listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. For more information, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk. So we're in James chapter 1, uh, which is on page 1213 um, of the Pew Bibles, Pew, Chair Bibles, um, starting at verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. A few people have asked me today if I'm a little bit hot wearing this new uh, merino wool neck sweater I bought on sale. The answer is yes, I am. Yes, I am. So if you see me, okay, I'm not ill, okay, I'm just preaching with this big woolly thing on. Um, we're starting our James series today, really excited to be, uh, to be doing that. There are a few assumptions uh, that you, you, I'm, I'm putting on you that you're going to learn throughout your home groups. Uh, there'll be stuff that will cover the context, the historical sort of context, what's going on around this letter, and a few other things. Uh, we don't have time to go through these full uh, 18 verses today because I want to focus primarily on the first four verses, the, fir- the, the verses two to four, and what it means to, to find joy, to be steadfast uh, whilst going through trials. So that's my primary focus today. Uh, some of the other things surrounding the rest of that first half of the chapter, uh, you'll look at in home group, I'm sure, and have opportunity to do that. And if you're not in one, I really encourage you to get plugged into uh, to a home group. That's a, that's a lifeline we consider as part of this church. 
so if you're not, then really do make the effort. Speak to Chris, who was up here earlier, or myself, and we'll happily get you plugged in uh, to a home group. Uh, so for the purposes of this morning, then, we're going to be looking at verses, really, the first four verses, verses two to four. Uh, but before we do, let's pray. Uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I uh, would pray, Lord, that as we open your word now, as we listen to James uh, speak to us, that Holy Spirit, you will enlighten uh, these words, that we would know that they, are the, that they are God's words and that they are words for us here today. And Father, wherever we're at, we pray, Lord, that we would have hearts ready to receive and listen. Speak, O Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine you are part of this scattered church, okay, this diasporic church that's spread out everywhere. They're scattered. And then in one place they receive this letter and it's come from James. Okay, imagine that whilst out in this place you are a church, you are a people that is facing persecution. And then all of a sudden you get this letter from none other than James, Jesus' brother and the leader of the church in Jerusalem. You can picture the excitement as this letter arrives, right? And the messenger hands it over from James to the church elder. And they say, what does it say? What does it say? They all repeat. Now expectant for any help, any advice, anything that can help them in their struggles. To which the elder reads out, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. To which the congregation respond, say what? Are you sure? He knows what we're going through. Everyone does. It's gone out throughout the region. And as we uh, look through the letter and as we go through the series, we know that this included humiliation. We know that this included poverty. This included slander. This included persecution. This included sickness. And so it's entirely justifiable, isn't it, for this congregation's response to say, he couldn't possibly have said that. What does he mean, rejoice in your sufferings? But this is what James is asking his hearers to do. He's asking them to consider their sufferings and to look for joy and to understand that God is doing something, even in the midst of trials and suffering. James is asking us to consider the dichotomy between joys and trials because they seem opposed to one another, don't they? They may be asking the question, how am I able to do that? How are we able to do that where we are right now? Well, the first thing for us to consider, as James is asking us to do, is that this letter isn't just any letter for us as we receive it, as we read it today. It's not been written by some wishy-washy celebrity whose words corrodes and passes away like the flowers of the field. No, this is not just any letter, but it is God's holy word. And when we pick it up, we must receive it and consider it with that frame of mind and that posture of heart, that this is God's holy word. And therefore... We must consider it as true. Secondly, it's come from James, the apostle who was once a cynic of his brother. He grew up with Jesus. Can you even imagine this type of insight that this gives? A person 
He grew up, he saw James, he was probably irritated because he was the sibling that was always perfect and never did anything wrong, I don't know, or certainly never sinned. And he's writing now as someone that was once a cynic of his brother, as the Gospels tell us, as the Scriptures tell us. But now he is referring to him as Lord. And he is referring to himself as a slave and as a servant, a man who loved Jesus and his church so much that church history referred to him as James the Just or James the Righteous, who loved Christ's church so much, who spent so much time on his knees praying fervently for the church of Christ that he was also nicknamed affectionately, uh, or it was said of him affectionately, that he had the knees of, like that of a camel. This was a man who was to lose his life, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, early tradition says that he was stoned to death, refusing to recant his faith in Christ and refusing to stop talking about Jesus. So as we consider these things, again, as James is asking us to do, we recognise that whilst there is a, a tension between the joys and the trials, that God's word through his servant James, says that it is possible to find joy in your trials. Does scripture not tell us we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us? All things are possible in Christ. So in turning to verses 2 to 4 of this letter... James now begins to outline some practical steps for us to consider this morning. So, so take note. They are. And by the way, don't try and turn this into some sort of an acronym. It doesn't sound right, okay? And it only makes sense if you watch The Simpsons, okay? So number one, acknowledge the trial. Number two, pass the test. Number three, understand the purpose. So let's look at the first point, um, acknowledge the trial. So uh, the first lesson, James assumes uh, that all Christians are going to go through or are going through trials. Peter says, don't consider it a strange thing when you go through fiery trials. Christians will go through trials and persecutions and hardships, the scriptures tell us. And so we cannot hang on to some idealistic utopian way of presenting the gospel where come to Christ and you go through none of this your life suddenly becomes bliss because you can all testify to me this morning I don't need to stand up and tell you you can testify to me of how your life has not been plain sailing since becoming a believer in Christ but hopefully what your testimony is is that Christ has been your rock and brought you through these trials and tribulations does not Job say, man who is born of a woman is a few of days and then suddenly he's full of trouble? Doesn't take long to realise this truth. Being saved or obeying the word of God or exercising your faith will not exempt you from it, from life's trials. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Blessed, rich, always happy. No. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will be persecuted. For his name's sake. That's why Jesus says, count the cost. Count the cost. 
You'll remember that the Apostle Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 6, something that we all love, and we have fridge magnets and mugs and T-shirts about that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in their heavenly realms. We're all in a battle, and we are all going through trials. Acknowledge the trial. Sometimes they come out of nowhere. We just fall into them, don't we? Did you know it's the same term used here, say commentators, that Jesus uses in Luke uh, chapter 10, verse 30, where he's talking of the parable of the Good Samaritan. He's describing a man who fell amongst robbers on the, on the Jericho Road. He's out and he's minding his own business, walking on the road, and when he finds himself surrounded by uh, hooligans, maybe they're Man City fans or something, and they, they jump on him and they rob him and they leave him for dead. That's the same attitude that it's talking about here to do with your trials. You're going along, you're minding your own business, and then all of a sudden, bam, you fall into this trial. And it comes and it attacks you like a robber. It robs you of your peace and of your joy and of your sure footing. This good Samaritan did nothing to, to do this. It wasn't his fault. It wasn't a consequence of his sin. And such are the trials in our lives. They come unexpected and for no reason and completely blindsided. It's not, listen, listen, it goes without saying that many of uh, our consequences and our trials are as a result of something we, may have, we, we have said or done. We know this. It could be because of the fallout of a sinful course that we have put ourselves in, in life and where we've made a wrong decision. And there are consequences to that in trials and tribulations. We know that, but that's not what it's talking about here. James is talking about various types of trials that we go through, like the Good Samaritan, where they pounce on you. And we know that's true because we know we all live in a broken, messed up, fallen world where floods, as we've seen on TV, wipe out whole, wipe out whole villages and communities where children get gunned down even over the road in places like Liverpool in our own country, where people struggle to keep up with the cost of uh, the rising costs of living and cannot even afford to pay for electricity or to put a hot meal on the table. It's messed up. This world is messed up that we live in. Come, Lord Jesus. And believers aren't exempt from this. They are not. It doesn't, make any, it doesn't make you any less of a Christian if you are going through trials, if you're going through them today. It doesn't always point to some hidden sin in your life, nor is it a lack of faith. Like a bandit jumps out of nowhere and robs us of our sure footing. Trials, says James, various trials of all kinds that are, are common to us all. Discouragement, pain, suffering, loss, bad news, disappointment, physical sickness, mental health, family pain, pushed out, economic injustice, the wave that robs us of this peace and the things that rock us to the core. What do we do? What do you do when trials come your way? What do you do when you receive that phone call that brings the bad news or the doctor's appointment where it is announced to you something that simply numbs your heart and your mind and rocks you to the core? What do you do? To whom do you go? How do you respond? And James is saying, turn to God. What do we do? Well, a good step would be to acknowledge the trial and then 
to understand what God's word says about them and to know in that trial that I am not alone. I am not alone, as Charlotte said earlier. I'm not alone. God will not desert me in my suffering. God will not desert you, believer, in your suffering. He has given you his son, Jesus, who suffered the ultimate cost and he has deposited in you the Holy Spirit to be with you, to enable you, to empower you, and to walk through you. We all go through trials. Acknowledge the trial. Let's not be naive about it as a body of Christ. We know we're going for it, and your brothers and sisters sitting next to you are perhaps going for it, or will. We acknowledge the trial, but we know that we are not alone. So James here assumes that all we go through, yet in it, James is saying that it is possible that we can find and know joy. I wonder if I'm speaking to anyone today. Is anyone looking for this? Hold on, brothers and sisters. Stand fast. Christ knows and Christ sees. Second point uh, that I have for us is pass the test. The second aspect that James wants us to see as he walks us through this is that these trials that we, we go through are actually tests. They're actually tests. That is, this is the testing of your faith. It is the testing of your faith. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith is James here talking about being tested by Satan, not directly. It happens. But here again, the testing is not. How do I know that? Because verses 3 and 4 tell us that it's also, and it also shows us that the testing of our faith, it isn't some pointless sniping or unnecessary wearing down of the believer to test your steel or your stoicism, but it's a test of your faith to produce something. That means God is behind it. In ways maybe we cannot understand, but we know that God is underneath and above and through this. And God has a purpose in it. What is taking place isn't pointless. Your trials and your suffering is not pointless. It's something, says James, that gives an opportunity to be God-honoring and God-glorifying. It's the development and it's the refining of your character, your Christian faith, the strengthening of your walk with God as you come through the trial. And essential, hear me now, essential to the desired outcome is the process, what you want. Essential to the outcome is the process. It's the refining, it's the, refash, it's the fashioning, it's the testing that comes along the way. Uh, many of you perhaps can uh, identify with this maybe you can think in your mind ways of which uh, things are tested uh, when I think of things naturally as a father with five kids uh, and here they are I can remember uh, when my oldest children I'm trying not to point I know I'm doing that and I'm trying not to look but I'm doing that as well uh, but he uh, he had a favorite uh, this is really going to stitch him up now wasn't expecting <laughs> you to be here but anyway when they were much younger uh, they liked um, Toy Story right and so my father in America sent them over a Buzz Lightyear. I can't remember which one it was, so that, let me just say that. Okay, but they had their Buzz Lightyear. They've been watching it on Pixar, whatever it is now, Disney, okay, and the way in which Buzz always thought he was a real astronaut and he could fly. So what do they do with their Buzz Lightyear? Okay, this thing that's supposed to have uh, been built to last, 
They pop the wings out and they throw it down the stairs and literally within seconds, this thing is broken, yeah? The wings are broken off and it did not stand the test that they told me, Disney, okay, I've already got my gripe about Disney, it did not stand the test of time, it was broken. And so when I see things that say, this is tested and this thing will last, I always take it with a degree of cynicism and pessimism, that's, that's not my natural character, but I do. So, for example, when I'm going around IKEA, they're quite big on this, aren't they? And they say, this thing's been tested 10,000 times, yeah? By some eight-stone sort of Swedish marathon runner that lives on a diet of pickled cabbage, OK? I want to know, not if it can be tested in that way, but is it going to last with my children at home and are they going to break it? Yeah, that's what I want to know. And I can tell you, more often than not, most of my IKEA stuff has fallen apart. And it's nothing to do with my DIY. I can see what the women are thinking, looking at me. It's nothing to do with that. But there is a, there is a point here. Yeah? There is, a, there, is a, there is something that speaks volumes to the consumer. We want to know and we want to see that sticker, or that statement, well, some people do. They want to see that sticker and that certificate that says, tested and found to be working and will last the test of time. We don't want to pick up rubbish that's going to break straight away, do we? It's a process that people look for. That badge that says tested and came through strong. And in a similar fashion, what God is doing here is he is proving to a watching world that maybe like Israel was saved, they were brought through the waters and they were tested in the desert that they may be set apart and holy. God, likewise, is proving that his workmanship in us is good and he is proving to other believers that he is good for their encouragement and edification that what the great potter has called and formed can stand the test by trusting in him. He believes in his workmanship. He believes in the work he has fashioned in you. And when you're in the here and now, I know and I acknowledge that's hard for us to see when we're being pounded wave after wave, but isn't it wonderful to know as we go through that refinement that God looks beyond and sees what he's called us to be. He has every confidence in his workmanship. He has every confidence in you, even though you may not have it in yourself. Not because of your superhero ability, but because it is he himself who is carrying us, who is protecting us and is fashioning us into something that will bring glory to his name. I had to get it in, didn't I? Charles Spurgeon said, Trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soil and they let us see what we are made of. Augustine said, Trials come to prove and improve us. Look, for example, at Peter. I don't think he knew in his early years of the gospel what he was going to go through. He probably thought when he did and let Jesus down that he was rendered useless. But oh to know that that's not how God views the situation. Oh to know that whilst Peter viewed himself as an absolute failure for denying the one to whom he said, you are the Christ and I will never leave you, I will never desert you. That God looking beyond that as the sovereign Lord of time saw Peter as the rock saw him, even through these trials which he failed, saw him as the apostle, saw him as the spokesman, as the one who fiercely would take 
his gospel to the nations. To think that he would see ahead of time and know that Peter would be the one that stands up and encourages us here today, as he did in his letter. In chapter 1, verses 6, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, you're being tested, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. What? May be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And James is saying to those who are being persecuted, who have been forced to leave their homes, who have been shut off even from their own families, those that have lost their position of influence and now had nothing, those who are sick in bed. And what he is saying to us today is not a denial of these issues and these trials, but that we needn't lose our joy because in them, in them, they are times where we are being tested. They are times where we have an opportunity to come out steadfast, more in love with Jesus, closer in step, maturing character, and more useful for the master's purposes. We want to know this and just, Lord, get all that rubbish out of my head and help me to see it this way. Help me to see it this way. Holy Spirit, help me. Trials come and trials go, says James. In today's society where we, we hate this concept of having to go through trials and difficulties to get something out of it, where we just say, not for me, and we run away at the first, uh, the first instance of being tested. We don't like it today. We come up with ideas to avoid it all at any cost and bury our head in the sand. But the Bible's method is that we are to go for it, knowing that Christ is with us and he's doing something. Perhaps you, like the culture that we live in, have been sucked into this narrative where you would do anything to avoid trials, Dismiss it, avoid it, deny it. But in doing so, can I ask, are, are you missing out on what James says is a test? A holy test given to us by God. James is not denying its sting. God's word knows it's hard. It's hard when it just seems to be like wave after wave. Or when you cannot see the end. And I know, and I've walked through some of these things with, with you here today. Marriage breakdown, job loss, cancer or medical news, day-to-day -day obedience in battling with addictions, times where we just perhaps feel like God is just so distant and absent. And it's a time where we just cannot be comforted, where we're bowed down low uh, because we feel as if we cannot take any more and we call out, God, my God, where are you in this? But he would have us know from his word, that these are tests by which God is not like some, so I, I think of the example, okay, he's not like some angry God, okay, or some angry master lording over us, you must pass that test or you will fail and then you'll be in trouble. God's not like that. God's not like my angry, uh, where's Ross? I, no, he's not here. Good, I can go with confidence. God is not like my angry Welsh teacher that I remembered at school. Okay, who I just felt like he was always out to get me and to fail me, granted when I showed up at school, okay, but know that God isn't out to fail you in this test. He's not. He's given you the blessed Holy Spirit as your tutor to help you, to help you. God is for you. God wants you to, to flourish and to grow in all that he has called you to be. 
not fail you. He is good. He loves you. He is at work. He has a purpose in your life. And yes, for your sufferings. And he can be trusted. He is working for good in all things for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Brothers and sisters, as we go through the tests, know that he has a purpose. Pass the tests by the Spirit's enabling, standing steadfast, trusting in God. So, so far as we come to our third and final point, uh, we know from the passage that we are to acknowledge the trials. We know with God's help we will pass the test. And third and finally, we should understand that God has a purpose in them. God is doing something. God is doing something. Uh, the New Living Translation words it like this, verses 2 to 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. We see that the believer can take heart and find joy, not in the pain of trials. We're not, we're not mad people that like just going for it for the sake of it. But James says in knowing that God is at work, even in the midst of it, and he is doing something. Knowing that God is at work, knowing that he is faithful and can be trusted to do what he knows will bring glory to his good name and joy to his people. This is the crux of the matter for me. This is the positional change that needs to happen in our head. This is ultimately about him. He's doing this not, not, not for me primarily, although that, that comes so the Westminster uh, Confession of Faith says, right, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And that's the way around. We've got to have it. God, the honour of God's name is first. My joy and all the rest of it is secondary to that fact. Okay, this is the crux of the matter. The problem is we want our happiness to be the pinnacle. But to do so, to have that as the chief aim, to elevate our feelings and our position as the highest goal in trials is not how believers are to think. Do you hear me, church? It's not how we're to think. The highest goal, the heart of every aim must be all glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ. And there's a fundamental change that needs to happen in my heart and in my mind and in ours and in yours against the tide of culture's oppressive, joyless individualism that says, I am the setter, center, and my joy is paramount, but true joy isn't found this way. James says here that we can count it joy, we can find and know joy, knowing that in the test, God is at work for the glory of his name. And he's doing that by doing something in us that is achieving something that will bring glory to his name. So a roundabout way just to say, Jamie, what is he doing? What is he achieving? Verse 3, do you see it? Verse 3, it is perseverance. It is endurance. It is steadfastness, or one, as one commentator puts it, stick-to-it-ness. I don't even think that's a word. It must have been American. The word used here, steadfastness, gives the picture of the believer remaining firm and steady under the immense pressure of something above. Picture just like, like that. And it's, crush, it's trying to crush you down like that. And, and the Bible, God's word, is saying to you, stand firm. Stand firm. A little illustration. 
as we begin to land. How many of you here know that in our church there are several gym rats floating around in the gym, certainly downstairs anyway? I know because I've seen some of them and we've looked at each other, blustered and sort of almost a bit coy. And then you feel slightly judged because you were mincing a little bit on the bike or whatever. Okay, but there are several gym rats in our church. Uh, one of them is myself. Now, I've mainly had the cards just to let it fall out of my wallet every now and again to let people know. But I very rarely used it. It still looks brand new. That was until my brother and uh, at arms, uh, Chris, showed up. And Chris goes to the gym a lot. I hope you don't mind this, Chris. Chris goes to the gym a lot. And I, I thought, bad. I thought, well, I should be going to the gym as well. And so I've started going a bit more, trying to. And one of the things that I think of is sort of growing under this pressure. And you can think of many different examples. You can think of how a diamond does it, how a pearl does it. But let me give you an example of me in the gym and sort of just trying to lift weights like that. And these weights, you, what the idea, I guess, if you're trying to sort of get stronger is to, to lift heavier and heavier and heavier and strengthen and strengthen and strengthen, yeah? The pressure that's down on top of you is to push through it so that you get stronger. It's a little bit like, in some warped, weird way, okay, what... God is saying here about being steadfast under this pressure that is not just there to oppress you it is there to help you get stronger and spiritually fitter and with your walk with Christ steadfastness is a process in which a believer is called to submit to in the master's sanctifying plan the purpose of which verse 4 that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing what does that mean why, why are we enduring to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? And the answer simply is, in order for us to become like Jesus. Church, what is this saying? What's happening? God is at work making you become like Jesus. First Peter 5.9 says, but resist him. Speaking of the enemy, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in all the world. You're not alone. 1 Corinthians 15.58 says, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Deuteronomy 8.2-5 says, And you shall remember that the Lord your God who led you all the way to where you are now, these 40 years in the wilderness, to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you. He allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. This is our test. In the trials, in the testing, in the pain, in the sadness, God is training us to depend on him. And he is making us like Jesus for the day when that is fully realised, when at last those who have trusted in him pass the test, remain steadfast, and when they shall in the flash, and this is one of the most beautiful verses, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, be raised to be with him forever. You look forward to that day. That wonderful picture. Joy 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 in knowing in all of this that he is at work he is faithful he's doing something and then that day will come when you will look before him and you will be like him joy blessed is the one who perseveres under trial 
because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. In concluding, uh, church, brothers and sisters, by God's strength, let us acknowledge the trials by God. Let us, by the Holy Spirit's empowering, pass the test. And through it, may we understand and trust that they are not without purpose, but that he is making us like his son, Jesus Christ, the one whom we love. So let's pray. The wonderful thing is that we are, we are not alone and that Jesus said, it's better if I leave you because when I go to my Father, I will send the Comforter. And we know as we continue to read through this first half of James that God is a generous God. He's a good God. He says, if you're struggling in this, then ask him. Ask him for wisdom. And he will help you. He will help you. Ask for wisdom. And that's what we're going to do through prayer. But maybe also you're new here today. You're new to Christianity and you've been left disillusioned by the world, let down by people and slogans. Come to Christ. Find rest and true joy in him. He died for you. He took all of your and my sin that you could be rescued from this present age and made a new creation by believing in him, by repenting of your sins and trusting in him. Wherever you're at, if you need wisdom or whether you just need to get right with God, let's open our hearts once again and turn to him in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I, I do pray for anyone right now that is going through these trials and struggles, and Lord, perhaps for those that aren't and things are going well, Lord, would you still be at work preparing their hearts for when that wave comes? Prepare our hearts, O oh Lord, we pray. Help us to know and to see these things, to hear your words, to tell us to expect these things, but to also expect that because of your great goodness that you are with us in and through it all. And we pray, Lord, that when it comes, we would understand, we would acknowledge that we would pass, and we would know that you are at work, making us more like your son, the one who we love and worship and long to be with here today. With your help, Holy Spirit, we pray, plant your word inside of us. Fill us with faith. And help us to be an encouragement to our brothers and sisters, we pray. In his good name. Amen. You have been listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. To find out more about us, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk.